This is Ryan Elliott for Boxing Social in association with Betfred. It feels a bit weird doing my introduction from my living room, but the show goes on. We've got something a bit different today. It's a Skype interview. I'm delighted to be joined by psychology expert, body language expert, and YouTube sensation as well. Believe in Bruce. Bruce, thank you very much for joining me. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much for having me on this Skype, Ryan. No, thank you. My pleasure, honestly. Now, let's just talk a bit about you. That's what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to do a little few bits going forward. But today, this is a an introduction to sort of psychology and boxing, body language and boxing. Your channel's been yeah. growing. growing. Um, we've, we've sort of came together today to talk about it. In terms of what you do, can you just explain to everyone your YouTube channel and, and why it's been it's been growing so rapidly as well, particularly in the boxing community? Yeah, sure. So um, for 20 years, I've been in the realms of psychology and been working all over the globe for various corporate clients um, as well as a, as a, as a contractor, as, as a consultant myself, Ryan. And what I decided to do was I become aware that not a lot of people uh, outside who weren't employed by, you know, uh, global corporate organizations, these guys and girls didn't have access to like mental health support, psychological support, well-being support. So what I decided to do was take some of the information that I give on a global basis and put it, you know, free of charge, if you will, on my YouTube channel so that if people were interested in psychology or body language, uh, mental health or well-being, anything to do, you know, with the head and the heart, then they may get some learning, some support from the conversations or the information that I put out there. And that's really where the Believe in Bruce YouTube channel came from. I started uh, the, the first real video that's nearly got 400,000 views now. Uh, that was on KSI versus Logan Paul. So I've done a body language and I, uh, I put it on. Uh, at the time, I had about three subscribers, which were one of them was me under a fake account. The other one was my mum and my granny. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, it sort of went from there. And like I said, nearly 400,000 views and the you know, subscribers just never stopped. So I thought, well, there's obviously some intrigue. There's some interest about, you know, body language itself. So I started to do more of them, but then I went on to the, let's call it boxing, um, you know, as, as I know it, so where you've got professional boxers. So for me, the YouTube is very much, you've got two guys going for it, it's an entertainment, you know, but then you've got professional boxers. So I used to bring it in for Tyson Fury Wilder, Joshua Ruiz, you know, all those types of fights. And again, the interest about understanding what people do, are they lying? Why do they scratch their nose? What way, you know, what ways are their eyes looking? All this type of stuff definitely seems to be of interest to not just the general public, but boxing fans, boxers, uh, boxing commentators themselves. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just producing more of these videos that will allow me, as well as doing the body language stuff, which people are interested in, to do more of the psychological well-being and mental health support as well. And hopefully have enough subscribers um, in due course that I can really get the information that I've been learning over the past 20 years out there to the YouTube community, the wider community, if we can call it that right. Now, Bruce, how has the industry sort of been responding since these videos came out? You said it's not just boxing fans that are interested and, and just, you know, people clicking on your YouTube channel in general. People in the industry now are starting to take notice. Have a lot of people inside the industry sort of been contacting you and, and looking to speak to you about it? Yeah, every, yeah, yeah. But again, it's, it's, been, it, you know, it's, it's been really exciting. And first of all, I'm very humbled that I have got some type of knowledge or I can deliver it in a certain way that people are interested in and sort of want to reach out to it. 
Um, but like I say, within boxing, and you know, let's keep it in sort of boxing specifically here just for a second, is that boxing seems to be in an area where, I mean, hell, you know, strength and conditioning, to, for someone to say to have a, a strength and conditioning coach is relatively new. For someone to say they've got a nutritionist is relatively new. So when we're talking about psychology and body language, because when you look at, like, again, let's just say a fighter, you'll have them to do the physical preparation. So there'll be a structure, there'll do so many rounds in the pads, so much sparring. They'll have some type of structure about how they introduce that program and then how it tapers off, so the peak for the fight. But then when you look at the, the psychological side, the cerebral aspect, many people don't include that in their preparation. Yet if you ask a boxer or a coach or any of the boxing community, you know, how much of the fight is mental compared to physical, you'll often get this like 70-30 or 80-20 type ratio. And then when I say it, you know, well, look at your timetable. Do you appropriate that amount of, you know, quality time, structure time to the cerebral stuff? The answer is always no. So the amount of, um, to answer your question, the amount of boxers or boxing coaches or just people interested in general who reached out to me, there's been quite a few. And again, hopefully by me sharing those videos out there on my Believe in Bruce channel, is that rather than that one-to-one -one stuff, I can share that information to the masses rather than just one person benefit from Ryan. Now, I know some boxers do use psychologists. Carl Froch famously in the build-up to the George Groves rematch. I know Team GB have sort of in-house psychologists as well. Do you think boxing is still catching up to the rest of the sporting world with regards to psychology, though? And do you think there's still a stigma around it? Uh, so my opinion would be, yes, there is still a stigma. Um, again, boxing or even the wider community, because we will freely offer that we've got a nutritionist on board. We will freely offer that we've got a strength and conditioning coach on board. Or we'll freely offer that we've got a head coach. But when it comes to saying I've got a psychologist on board or I've got someone who helps me prepare my mind or improve my resilience or helps me calm me down or helps me cerebrally prepare for the event, then that seems to be a little bit more taboo. That seems to be a little bit more scary for some people to offer. So just on the data that I've got to go off, I would say, yes, it's still not as freely available. People you know, haven't got the psychological safety to say I've got someone helping me with psychology as they would have about, you know, a strength and conditioning coach. Now, just to touch on the body language thing, Bruce, I think that's the thing that fascinates a lot of people, particularly in boxing, where everyone's always for looking for every little edge. We're going <laughs> to, in the future, we will actually look at some examples. But for now, as a, as a basic introduction to all of us for body language, all the fans watching this that love the head-to-heads, they love the gloves are off type programs. Could you give us some little things that we could possibly be looking out for? Any telltale signs of who's got the upper hand? Because traditionally, a lot of people always seem to think in a face-off, it's, it's who looks away first, but I know that's not necessarily true. You just give us some things that we could be looking out for. I know you've talked about plenty on your, on your channel. Yeah, sure. Well, like I say, body language. It's important to know that what we see from the body is the autonomous actions that come from some type of response in the cerebral system. So when somebody does something, what words do they say? I'm looking for, does their body actions line up with what they are saying, with the verbalization patterns? And if not, that's where I would zone in on. So for body language, it's important to note that depending on the boxer, yeah, depending on the boxer, it may or it may not be advantageous or disadvantageous to zone in on something. Because again, some people, a lot of boxers, they're not comfortable in uh, verbalization, communication, having a narrative back and forward with somebody, but getting them in the ring 
that's where they are more comfortable. So from a body language perspective, you can see when someone's annoyed. You can see when someone's probably what, what, what we call uncomfortable. There's a sign of discomfort. And you could zoom in on there. You could start peeling that layer apart. And that may help you in the fight. But it's important enough that it's not necessarily a guarantee just because when you get under someone's skin doesn't necessarily mean it translates into you dominating them come fight night. But that's where you've got to start figuring out your opponent. This is where you've got to understand what makes them trigger, what makes them anxious, what makes them irritable. Because actually, just by being more aware of what your opponent does, you can zone in on maybe a scratch of the cheek, a little rub of the chin, a rub of the nose, something where they stretch back or they start soothing the back of the neck. These are all signs that if you are observing them and you know what you're looking for, then that can be just as advantageous to you as doing 100 rounds of sparring by yourself. If you say the right word at the right time about the right thing to your opponent, this can set off the, the, the sort of CNS, what we call it, the sympathetic nervous system that allows people that allows people to start zoning in on what we call trigger points. So you hear the narrative all the time in the boxing world about he's got under his skin, he seems to be biting, you know, he's lost his head. Well, actually, there's some data that backs that up. And only if your opponent reacts in a disadvantageous way that it's negatively impacting on them, then, but, you know, but boxers don't probably utilize that enough. It's almost like they don't feel comfortable to do that or it's not correct etiquette to do that. Whereas when you look at someone like Muhammad Ali, the master of triggering people, Conor McGregor, the, the master's apprentice, if you will, of triggering people's nervous system to give them those adrenaline dumps, to take control of them so they're constantly ruminating and getting angry about them. Come fight night, they've probably already done six rounds mentally before they even get in the ring. So body language, it's a key for noticing what's going on with your opponent. But then it allows you, if it's comfortable for you, if it's part of your character, to develop an approach that could be massively advantageous to you by you know, producing a negative effect on your opponent's performance just by a few key words at the right time. Now, you mentioned there the likes of Muhammad Ali, Conor McGregor. I know someone that you've looked at as well, Tyson Fury, someone who is often associated with mind games and, and being able to get under his opponent's skin, so to speak. In a yeah. sport, especially at the top level, you're looking for every little advantage possible. Do you think mm. working with somebody like yourself is something that will become more commonplace at the top when, when people are looking for every inch possible? Yeah, I think it's got to. I think that's the way that it's going. You know, we talked about the marginal gains that was made famous, if you will, by the Sky Sports Cycling Team, Dave Brailsford, etc. But when you get to that level, you are looking for every little percentage that you can stack in your favour before the fight and during the fight that allows you to be the best version of, the, uh, of you, that allows you to give you the best chance of winning. Because when you're talking about your livelihood, when you're talking about providing for your kids, when you're talking about a substantial amount of money for some fights, these small percentages can mean everything. And like I say, you've got the SNC coaches, you've got the nutritionists, you've got everything else going on there. There's a huge gap over here, a huge gap of potential, if I can call it that, where if people are more educated about how they can control themselves, but then also the other person, that stacks the card massively in your favour, Ryan. Now, Bruce, I just wanted to speak a bit more specifically about Tyson Fury. I appreciate we're going to go and look at some footage in another video. This is an introduction. But with Tyson, you know, his profile's through the roof at the minute. There's a lot of interest in not only his exploits in the ring, which have been great in recent times, but also outside of the ring. You just tell me, 
if you can, what makes Tyson so effective with these mind games was sort of Vladimir Klitschko. Klitschko was almost itching to not be around Tyson Fury by the end. Even with Deontay <laughs> Wilder, not only trying to get under his skin at times, but, but also trying to disarm him at times. I saw him on your videos as well. You just tell yeah. us what makes Tyson Fury such a mass, master of the mental warfare. Yeah, sure. Well, it's a, you know, a lot of boxers uh, or UFC fighters, which is another area that I cover, uh, their amygdala, their fight or fight that's called the seat of fear, uh, tends to, through either conditioning or genetic disposition, be of a calmer nature to potentially you or I. And that's what you've got with Tyson Fury. Is in, It's not so much Tyson Fury being knowledgeable about psychology or getting under the skin of, of a structured approach. It's just his personality and the way that he is, he can actually set off a number of triggers just by being gregarious. Another one of Tyson Fury's qualities is that he could be speaking to you and say his favorite color is white, and in an instant he could turn around to me and say his favorite color is black. He's got that sort of limited awareness, and he really doesn't care. So when you're looking at the psychological profile of Tyson Fury and how he manages to irritate the other opponents, he's very good at verbalization. You know, you'll sit there calmly, but then when he wants to go, he can go. And you often find Tyson Fury has the power, the verbalization skills, uh, the confidence, the courage, if you will, to just keep talking over that other person. So it's a thing called active disruption. And it's really hard. So if I was trying to talk now to you and someone was talking in my ear, that would really put me off because I'm trying to con This is what Tyson Fury does beautifully. He starts just repeating the same messages over and over again, a bit like Conor McGregor, which really puts off their opponent's stride, their flow. And in that moment, when all the cameras are watching and all the crowd's there, you see his opponent start to shrink and shrink or just retreat. They'll almost become reclusive because of that verbal war that Tyson Fury's playing. So yes, he's probably naturally gregarious, that characteristics of verbalization. The fact that he's unaware of what he's saying, he just says what he wants in the moment. And he's probably above average in confidence or at least the conviction to deliver those messages. You know, a lot of boxers feel uncomfortable. They want to say something, but then that inner voice starts playing with them. Oh, I can't say that. I feel awkward if I say that. Um, you know, it's just not me to say that. Tyson hasn't got that. He just bang, bang, bang. And actually, he's quite quick-witted as well. But if you listen to it, again, if you look at the Wilder uh, press conference, a lot of what he said was the truth. I'm going to meet you in the ring. I'm going to hit you with the right hand. You know, and uh, Tony Bellew was a really good example as well when he spoke to David here, is that Tony Bellew really rattled David here. And I think he'd done that because a lot of the stuff like Tyson Fury said was truthful. But then because he was saying truthful stuff, when he said something was negative about the opponent, which was also a truth, that really hit them hard. Because you had been nice, you had been balanced. So then, you know, if someone's constantly shouting at you just random stuff, that doesn't tend to work. But what you've got with Fury is a beautiful mixture of this is what I'm going to do, this is what I think you're good at, but this is what I think you're terrible at. And when he comes up with that little bit there, you can see it really hurts. It, unhinder, it unhinges these opponents, which can be quite effective uh, in Tyson Fury's purpose, you know? Yeah. Now, we went and saw Andy Lee, who was working with Tyson. We went and saw him after the fight over in Dublin. And we asked him about, there have been rumours around all week about, about injuries. And it just shows how deep it goes with Tyson. Andy Lee told us, Tyson Fury had been planting these injury rumours himself. That's what he told us on camera. He said, even if he was around anybody he didn't remotely trust, whether he was training or taking, you know, just taking a bit of weight, whatever, he said he would maybe throw in a limp every now and then. He would be looking to stretch a bit awkwardly. It just shows how deep these things can run at that yeah. top level. Yeah, I, I, I think 
What you've also got to be aware of is sometimes that that could be used as a comfort blanket as well. So that could be a little cloak of invincibility that Tyson puts on. So by reducing the expectation upon his shoulders, hey, you know, I've, I've hurt my shoulder, my knee's not working, I've hurt my hip, and you put them out, what that allows Tyson to do is actually just regulate that pressure level on him. And nobody else may think it, but if it works on his head, again, this is it. If it works for the individual, it works. We must be buying for what works on me may not work for you. But Tyson could use that not only to unsettle his opponents or to give them you know, something to talk about, something to hang the hat on, but by doing that, he is regulating his pressure to bring what I call the ladder. We're bringing people back down the ladder to allow him to perform in his individualized zone of optimized performance. But he's doing that himself. So that narrative that he's given out, it might not be for his opponents. It's for Tyson Fury. One other thing I want to ask you about, Bruce, because this is really interesting stuff. Um, we haven't got video to analyze on this, but it was quite a public story. Deontay Wilder after the fight. I know maybe defense mechanisms is something you've looked at uh, quite a lot. After sure. the fight, we've all heard the infamous interview where he sort of blamed the costume and said the extra 40 pounds en route to the ring sort of weakened him a bit. What did you make of that, the, the fact he'd sort of built that defense mechanism after the first loss of his career? How do you break that down? Yeah, sure. So um, I think it's absolutely normal. Uh, it's, it, when, I, when I work with my clients all over the world, I call it beautifully human. Is that what we have? We've all got a self-preservation mechanism, Ryan. That, that's what we've all got built into us. And you see it in the supermarkets at the moment with the coronavirus. People are fighting over toilet rolls because we've got the self-preservation mechanism built in. You go on holiday and you'll be given a safety briefing tool where your, you know, where your life jacket is under your seat. I guarantee you that if your plane ditches and water starts coming in the window, it's every man for himself. Once you're out of the plane, you'll help people, but you need to self, uh, you need to self-preserve. And this happens across the whole spectrum of the global population. So this is what I believe we see with John A. Wilder. He was embarrassed. He had built himself up. He was said he's a proudful, you know, he's, sorry, he's, he's a prideful man. He's, he's won a lot. He's put a lot into boxing. And he also realizes that if he talks himself down, then the chances of that third bout are less likely. So he's got to hang his hat on a reason other than, look, you know, Tyson Fury just beat me. He's got to give something else. A bit like Audley Harrison. I used to, I knew what was going on inside me, but I used to always fall for Audley Harrison's excuses. He used to always convince us. Even you, I knew the narrative that I was playing, that he was going to come back, he was going to defeat the bad guy in the next fight. And obviously, he never did. Uh, but this is the one you've got with Johnny Wilder. So it's a self-preservation mechanism. Something happens, we push out into the world, we react, we get defensive into the world. And it's, it's actually quite hard to say, yeah, do you know what? I, I was shit. I just got beat. It didn't work for me. Um, you know, I was too heavy and, and all the other stuff that are probably more aligned with being the correct answer. So, yes, it's beautifully human. Yes, I expected it. I expect some more to come out there as well. Because as well as a self-preservation mechanism, he's also trying to put himself in a stronger position mentally, but also to then negotiate for further fight rights. So, I'll admit I was a little bit disappointed. It reminds me of the sort of David here in Klitschko when he got his, you know, when he got his little toe out. I didn't think anybody could ever beat that excuse, but Deontay Wilder definitely did. Um, but yeah, I understand it. And the thing is, we've all got that ability to self-preserve where we do things in the moment because we're embarrassed, because we feel threatened. And then, you know, a week later, we'll probably look back and say, I wish I'd gone that, you know, maybe it's a little bit different way. Now, Bruce, I could sit here and talk all day about this. I'm not going to make you sit here and talk all day, though. I think that's about no 20 minutes. It's been a great introduction. It's sort of the psychology within boxing and obviously the Wilder Fury stuff, too, is absolutely fascinating. So 
we'll leave it there. But for anyone who hasn't been over at Bruce's channel yet, what are you doing? Go and check out Believe in Bruce. We're going to leave a link in the description. The breakdown's a big fight. It's not just boxing. You've got UFC. You've got a whole host of things. It's not even just sport. Go and have a look. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic channel. And Bruce, thank you so much again for coming on. No, no, sir. Thank you for your time.